Hi, Mortified listeners. This is Editing Layla coming in just to make a couple of teeny tiny corrections about some Paris Hilton lore that I drop in the contents of this episode. Um, I reference uh, her having a hobby of repairing RC radios. This is a rumor. I did link an article in the show notes that uh, traces the evidence of this rumor, but it's never been confirmed. And then I also said that Paris has a song about being an heiress also incorrect. That song is by Aisha Erotica. It's called That's Hot. And the lyric I was thinking of was, you may be fucking an heir, but I'm a fucking heiress. H-I-L-T-O-N, bitch, I'm fucking Paris, which is an ode to Paris Hilton and not by Paris Hilton. Um, my apologies to Paris Hilton, who I do truly love as a, as a pop culture icon. Um, and that's about it. So please enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, and a mild spoiler warning for the 2600-year-old play Oedipus Rex. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a repossessed spleen. And this week, we enter the goth zone with Repo, the genetic opera. Before we become forcible organ donors, remember you can help us on Mortified, the legitimacy quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. We have some explaining to do. Oh, do we? So we got really excited last week because we were supposed to, today, talk about the 2015 uh, film starring one Mr. Hugh Jackman, uh, favorite of the pod, uh, long longtime, uh, just like mascot of Mortified, Hugh Jackman. Um, but you um, watched it earlier on this week and discovered that it is wildly racist. <laughs> Yeah, which I knew that the casting of Rooney Mara as um, oh my god, Tiger I'm Lily, right? Tiger Lily, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I knew that the casting of Rooney Mara as Tiger Lily was like bad. Um, what I didn't realize was that the movie hinges on a performance from the lead from Tron Legacy trying to do a discount Brendan Fraser in The Mummy screaming about violent savages for well over 30 minutes, and then we're supposed to buy that he and White Tiger Lily are in love at the end of the movie. So, it was not a fun or good watch, and even Mr. Jackman trying his best really, there wasn't... I didn't want to put you through that after watching The Blind Side for the Bible Boys. Plug the Bible Boys. Uh, yeah, uh, that's one. That's one. I didn't want to watch that many racist things uh, all in a row. Although, to be fair, I did watch uh, God's Not Dead 1 today, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, um, so instead we have um, decided... To move our schedule up a little bit, we actually had the Repo, the Genetic Opera, scheduled for next week. We just kind of bumped it up in the schedule, and I think it actually kind of hits exactly where we wanted Pan to be, which is to say, like, weird, um, like, bad movie that is, is, you know, something we can, like, kind of laugh at, but maybe try to find some interesting bits at, you know... There is one, like, a little bit famous actor in this, um, which we will talk about. Um, I would argue, yeah. too. 
I guess I guess two. Yeah, I guess if you if you count Miss Hilton. But um, yeah. Um, do you want to try to summarize this just wild uh wild program? Uh, I we usually don't do content warnings, but like this one probably deserves one. Uh, content warning for like uh surgery, body horror, mutilation, uh, gore. It's it's a really gross musical. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, a summary. Okay. In the near future, specifically in the year 2056, uh, everyone suddenly has organ failure. You know how in Promare people start combusting? These people's organs, they just start failing. Um, Roddy Largo uh, founds the biomedical company GeneCo, which um, basically sets up like a lease system for organs. You go and get your organs from GeneCo so you can live, but then you owe them massive sums of money. And if you don't pay, you are subject to repossession in which the repo man will come and fucking kill you and take your organs back, which Aaron, I have some medical questions, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, and uh, the other, so so one of the plots is is if Jinko of Roddy and his three children, um, Amber, uh, Luigi, and Pavi, because you know what? Why not throw a little uh, allusion to like Italian mafia structure in this mm-hmm. wild movie? Uh, and then one of the other stories is of a young girl named Shiloh who is suffering from a blood disease and is not allowed to go outside. Um, after getting a little bit of Shiloh's backstory, we learn that her doctor father, Nathan, is actually the Repo Man. And he thinks that he killed his wife, her mother, when in reality, it was an act of jealousy from Roddy, um, who now employs Nathan as the Repo Man basically by blackmailing him and saying like hey i got you out of trouble with the cops and i'm not telling your daughter that you're out there murdering people um so roddy uh does receive the news that he is dying so he has to uh, decide who jinko is gonna go to and his three children are fucking losers and he hates them um they also have this like Every time, all the children's songs, uh, one of the children, by the way, Amber, played by Paris Hilton, <laughs> so it just does, just great. Um, and uh, they each have, like, a gimmick. One of them uh, uh, is addicted to surgery, Paris Hilton. Um, one of them is just, like, hyper-violent and, and uh, daddy's little monster, but he's a man, so it's fine. Uh, and then the other one just wears a face mask all the time because he can't stop changing faces. Um, and they're all useless, so dad doesn't want to give them anything, and so he instead reaches out to Shiloh, who he feels like should have been his daughter. Uh, and then basically Shiloh goes on this whole adventure, um, where, uh, she meets up with Roddy, and then she meets up with this, uh, singer of the actual genetic opera named Blind Mag, who is technically her godmother, and gets roped into this scheme where Roddy's like, hey, I will cure your blood disease, and I'll give you all of Jinko. all you have to do is bring me, um the traitor, the repo man, um, because uh, Nathan is supposed to repossess Blind Mag's cool hollow eyes, and he won't do it because she was his dead wife's friend. Um, So in the climax of the film, Shiloh uh, uh, bashes her dad over the head with a shovel, and they have this whole showdown on a stage um, where Blind Mag gouges her own eyes out and then gets impaled on a fence. Uh, uh, Nathan gets his thigh sliced open. There's like a big murder show. Everyone gets shot. Roddy shoots uh, Nathan, and then you know, Shiloh basically says, like, I don't want to be bound to this legacy. And um, with her father, after her father dies in her arms, she leaves. Um, in a post credit scene, it's revealed that uh, Amber, uh, Paris Hilton, takes over Jinko after her father's death. 
Um, and I haven't mentioned it because it's just kind of like the narrator, but there is also a grave robber who pops in and out every once in a while, and he's like a cool drug dealer, and he saves this movie from itself all the time. Um, yeah. Is that it? (laughs) I mean, yeah, like, you made it actually so much more comprehensible, like, listening to you make that explanation, I was like, oh, this makes sense, um, when in reality, um, watching its execution, it was so much more um disjointed than that yeah i mean like also when this movie says it's an opera it means it's it like they don't stop singing yeah like there are what like 60 songs in here um and then they're like 10 cut songs so it's it's just wild yeah which is hard to believe because <laughs> i would have cut some more <laughs> mm-hmm. uh layla shall we start with the characters just to do a little bit of a you know examination of how we felt about them yeah, how did you not recognize that the girl who plays Shiloh was Carmen from Spy Kids? It's been a long time since I saw Spy Kids, in my defense. I knew I saw her face somewhere and it bothered me for like five minutes because I was really determined not to IMDb in the middle of the movie. Um, but I was like, oh shit, that's, <laughs> that's Carmen from Spy Kids. Uh, yeah, no, she was great for what she was given. I think she tried really hard. Um but yeah, I mean, I think straight up, like, Shiloh is supposed to be the main character and also has zero agency, except for at the very end, which, like, uh, you know, it, it's it's a thing that happens to basically, like, you know, every third woman character in, in most media. But, like, um, you know, I, her singing is, like, okay. Like, I, I didn't think it was especially bad. There were some songs that I thought were pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's just like a weird goth chick who, you know, has a, has a cool blood disease and, um, you know, hates her dad and, you know, like, I, I get it. You know, that's, that's what being a teenager is like, I, I guess. I don't know. I, I think it was a criminal waste of her talent, frankly. (laughs) She is, um, first of all, if I had seen this movie with, um, as, uh, my friend pointed out that Griffin McElroy said, the wide open eyes of a teenage goth, uh, in the year that it was released, I would have been dressing up like Shiloh all the time. Like, that genuinely is what I wanted to look like in 2006 to, like, 2008. Um, and... You mentioned you owned one of these, like, portrait-ass necklaces, apparently? <laughs> yes, they were, like, sold at Hot Topic all over the place. And I definitely owned, like, a Victorian, like, bust portrait necklace. I forget. They have a name. I totally... I'm what was it. What was in it? Like, what was the portrait of? It's just a lady. It's the aesthetic. Just a random lady. Okay. It's the aesthetic. Man, I was really not as emo as I thought I was in middle school. Emo and goth are not the same things. Do not No, they're them. not. But I still... <laughs> I did not see any of those at my local Hot Topic. Yeah, so um, I believe I got mine as a as a gift from a fellow goth. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> um, I honestly like in terms of the singing, I think the the best singer of the lot was probably the guy who played Nathan. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he played Giles and Buffy, um, which I'll probably call him Giles a bunch. And mm-hmm. Paris Hilton, who actually had a little bit of a music career at the time. But regardless of anyone's like vocal chops the mix in this movie was just deeply unflattering yeah i mean they are all trying to sing and like you know i I don't think any of the singing is especially good except for maybe 
mags at the very end but yeah no you're right the the audio the audio is largely you know sabotaging itself um which we'll come back to we will come back to that um the the big bad roddy roddy largo you know he's a he's a genetic you know he's 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 jeff bezos meets fucking i don't know organ organ salesman like uh how, how did you feel about mr largo uh, not very strongly either way. He was fine. He, he was very his... generic. Yeah. Yeah. He did his job. Yeah. Um. He, yeah. He was fine. Um. How do you feel about Dad slash Repo Man? Oh uh, God. <sighs> I have nothing kind to say about the character. I thought the performance was doing its best. Yeah. You know what? I think uh, Anthony Head um is just fucking dying out there he is he is he's really like because he is fucking putting his whole body into this performance there's a lot of times where he has to like mutilate people and like be this you know like maniacal you know caricature of an evil doctor and he's just like cutting people up and you know just flinging fake blood all across the stage um but like despite all of that like you know he he tried so hard we have to give him credit for that but like his character fucking sucks there's no He's not, I've been, like I keep bringing up in every podcast I do, uh, I've been trying to work on this outline for a new book, and in doing so, I've been working on three-act structure, and um, there's one, in particular, three-act structure, um, you know, website uh, called Save the Cat, which I've been using to help format my book, and the title of that, Save the Cat, comes from the literary, you know, or, you know, film writing notion that if you have a character uh in the first act that is like kind of unlikable or like you know even just like you know like not very interesting you have to have them do something like save a cat um so that way it's like okay maybe they're kind of an asshole but they do really mean well and i they don't do this for nathan the the only thing we get is that how he's like really sad about his wife died and he he does he you know thinks he cares about his daughter but like that you can't pair that with literally locking your child in their room like it doesn't it completely cuts the knees out the legs out from under it and it you know it's like well i don't i have no emotional connection to this man i hope he suffers greatly yeah and i mean like save the cat too is is a little bit of a nuanced concept even in and of itself because yeah you know if if you save a dog everybody likes dogs you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's like oh yeah of course everyone would save a dog saving the cat involves or automatically implies like a little bit of extra effort on that character's part to save something that is um, perhaps occasionally maligned, you know? Um, Like, you know, like I'm also working on a project and the whole point, like the villain character in my, in my project is already dead when the story starts, but she stays the villain because she has like a, she leaves a legacy of, of bad things. And, um, I very purposefully never showing never show her saving a cat or like doing anything like that. And part of her legacy is leaving a character who comes off initially unlikable as like one of her progeny. And one of the first things he does is save someone else. And then he continues to be unlikable for a while. And so like you need to do that. But but Nathan, we never see him uh, uh, save or spare or give even like a, a 
a kind death to any of his repo victims. Like, he kills everybody as violently and as cartoonishly as he can with no regards to how much pain they're feeling. Even with Mag, all he says is that, like, I won't do it. That's it. Um, and, it, you know, we never see him treat a child with kindness either because he's literally poisoning her in order to keep her locked in his house. Yeah, so this is a plot point that is revealed in the last mm, 10 minutes of the movie. Um, but, like, Mag, or Shiloh's blood disorder is actually just him poisoning her medication, um, which is just wild. Um, I Just a terrible choice, in my opinion. <laughs> Which, like, now that you say that out loud, doesn't that undermine her taking her agency away from her quote-unquote genetics at the end of the movie? Um, can you elaborate on that? Well, because she walks off the stage and she's like, I'm going to build my own legacy. Like, I don't care what my genetics are. Mm-hmm. Wasn't her whole entire song about hating her genetics because she inherited her mom's blood disease, which she actually didn't? Um, yeah, but I guess, like, in that context, it's like, you know, even though my dad was and my mom had a terrible life you know it's like you know who what happened to your family and who they are doesn't influence who you can be which is i think we'll, we'll talk more about what this movie is trying to say but yeah I, I it is a confused messaging regardless yeah nathan sucks whatever yeah fuck, fuck, this, fuck this guy uh we'll talk about him in a bit um he has a dead wife named marnie her purpose is to die and motivate every other character in this movie so eh. Though, Aaron, if I meet an unfortunate and untimely death, um, I would like you to at least facilitate either yourself or someone else in my life to get holographic eyes that play, like, my voicemails um, as yeah. a projector. That would be cool. Yeah, definitely. I will, yeah. I'm going to actually DM both uh, Marty and Ange right now and see if we can, Oh, like, Ange would do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. That that's the only cool thing about her is that Mag, who we're about to talk about, has her memories, her her dead friend's memories in her eyes, which is cool. Um, Mag's an opera singer. She, Shiloh's in my godmom. opinion, yeah, she's got Shiloh's godmom. Uh, in my opinion, has the best like you know, from a technical performance level, like the best singing in this musical. Well, Sarah um, Brightman's like a singer. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that, but makes sense you can tell <laughs> um and uh yeah she is a weird character i mean what is what is mag's purpose you know what does mag do to help move the story along i guess she is she is the fulcrum upon which the repo man you know he turns against uh, roddy yeah roddy um i've already forgotten his name right because if if he doesn't say no i'm not going to kill my 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 dead wife's best friend then you know then we don't get this this confrontation so i guess i guess she has a purpose which thanks another just another person to get mauled by the repo guy but um i think there's a lot of extraneous characters in here i think that the people who wrote this probably should should read maybe maybe some some check off or some um fucking I don't think I've ever read a Chekhov, actually. Who's my favorite uh, playwright? Who did The Dollhouse? Google says Henrik Ibsen. Maybe read Ibsen, because there's like four characters in a dollhouse, and that play fucking rules, and you don't need you don't need all these randos. You really don't. I was going to um, say, as a Slav, don't read Chekhov. <laughs> 
Um, oh, if you okay. can avoid reading uh, a sad old Slavic man literature, you're pr- I've tried just to honor my ancestors, and man, there's so much navel gazing. <laughs> Not enough time in the day. Listen, it's it's an important um, cultural heritage that you continue in your work, and I think that's very important. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Okay. It's supposed to be a compliment, but I'm seeing now that it might not be. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Paris Hilton's in this movie. And she understands the fucking assignment. Yeah, I mean, she shows up to be this, like, listen, the fucking, the archetype of a woman who, you know, uses her body in order to get drugs is pretty played at this point. Um, but at least Paris Hilton seemed to be having fun with it, you know, dressing up in these like weird, sexy outfits and just like, you know, being as horny as possible. Um, and you know, just like having, having a fun time being weird. Like, I I don't know that Paris has Paris. This is going to make me sound stupid. If it's true, is Paris Hilton like a big actress? No. Okay. I was going to say, she's just known for being rich, right? She's an heiress. Yeah, that's that's she her whole deal. She has a song about it, Aaron. What? She is getting what? a lot of like. Oh, so she has a documentary out now, uh, like about her. Uh, and also, uh, there was a really cool article about Paris Hilton, which I'll have to find and link. But she like repairs old radios. That's like, actually really cool. <laughs> 2006 era Paris Hilton was just doing the heiress shtick, right? And yeah. like now that she's out of the limelight along with, oh my God, who did she have? Uh, who, was, who did she have that reality show with? It was uh, Paris and Nicole Richie. Oh. She, it was Nicole Richie, yeah. So, so like now that her and Nicole Richie have kind of like moved past the spotlight that they had in that era you get a little more like nuance about the two of them. Like they're still very much like rich, hot women, but like, you know, you get a cool expose every once in a while about the, the radio thing. <laughs> so, but like 2006 is peak Paris and it's very peak, like show up to writhe and be sexy. Yeah. And you know what? I, maybe that was considered trashy back in the day. I just, we here in the enlightened era of 2022, we just, we need more people just to be hot and have fun and, you know, enjoy what they're doing, which, you know, of the people in this program, I think that Paris was one of the few who was actually having a good time. Yeah, not to plug the Bible boys again, but I feel like, you know, if, if you're interested in, in these kind of like hot, quote unquote, trashy stars of the mid 2000s and the mid aughts, like the episode on Jennifer's body is also really good because like um well yeah megan fox is like she had a renaissance for a second but now she's got that whole thing with mgk going so like i don't like we're back into cringe with megan fox but uh (laughs) but if you want to you know i i think i think the the topic of women reclaiming having like sexy writhy fun is really fun to explore especially in the context of the of the early aughts which was super body shamey and like homophobic and and wild so and nobody here is having any lasting consequences from that, but we gotta move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, do you have any other feelings about the other two? There's Luigi and Pavi. Uh, <laughs> like we said, Luigi, he has he likes knives and he like kills somebody, and like that's that's his whole whole character. He, is he like stabbed someone so unexpectedly that I was like talking to because you and I both kind of watched this movie with someone. Like Marty didn't watch it with me, but I was 
they had seen you were before. updating I was, them. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like live, live talking through it. I got so like I jumped so much from that unexpected stabbing that I flung our G chat window into one of my three monitors. I like, couldn't find it for like five minutes. <laughs> Just <laughs> threw a whole <laughs> software window away. That's impressive. Um, yeah, I mean he's like. He's just like angry and violent, and like you know, that's that's a character archetype, and it's fine. He does a fine job. Um, he looks like he's then, having fun. Yeah, he's having fun. That's true. Um, and then Pavi is like his whole. He wears like uh, y'all y'all seen Silence of the Lambs. I ain't seen Silence of the Lambs, but I know there's a face stealing scene in that. Um, and he you know he wears people's faces. Pavi does, and apparently all of the like hot sexy women that work for. Genko like love him so sure uh we're we again don't know why this character is here uh but it's fine and then there's the grave robber the uh, best character in this movie yeah he's the narrator and he has a drug empire and i think he's cool yeah he um knocks a wall down with the corpse at one point it fucking owns he uses it as a battering ram <laughs> I thought, yeah, that really sets up the kind of world you're in for, because <laughs> it happens in, like, in the opening ten minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No um, respect. We're, we're going to talk about some of the songs here. We're not going to do the thing that we normally do, which is run down which songs we liked, um, because those are few and far between. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the grave robber, things you see in a graveyard. So this is the thing that comes right before the grave robber uh, knocks down a wall, um... Actually, yeah, it does, because he's, like, singing the song. But, like, Things You See in a Graveyard is, like, kind of the opening, like, intro- like introducing, like, the world of, of Reapa. Um, you know, we get uh, Shiloh sneaking out, and, like, she's catching bugs. I Like, I was like, oh, that's a fun, weird thing to have this, your protagonist do. She's, like, in a graveyard catching bugs, like, sitting at her mom's tomb. Like, okay, yeah, this is gonna be goth as hell. Um, so, I like, this set me up for, like, you know, I thought I was gonna have a good time. Um, I, <laughs> it was a study just downhill decline from here, but I thought it was cool. And I liked the, the, the grave robber was in it. He was like weird and, and singing about how he's like stealing, um, surgery juice from people's noses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Zydrate is a painkiller that you can only get from dead people. That's a crux of this, of this film that I did forget to mention. Um, uh, caveat for, for this part of the discussion in the sense that like all the songs flow into one another. So a lot of them are our best guests at the song we're trying to talk about. So if mm-hmm. we get a title wrong, we're sorry. And I say that because we're pretty sure that the sad dad song is legal assassin. Like we're pretty sure, but we're yeah. not sure. It makes sense based on the breakdown in in the plot, but like we we could not tell you truthfully. Um, this song is basically just like man walks around his poorly lit house and sings about how his wife is dead. Yeah, and then it turns into the reveal of of him being the repo man. Um, hmm. So, did you feel anything during this for this man? I felt a little annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. This song is not effective. No, you don't. Right. It's hard to do a thing where you're like, okay, this character has a sad backstory when you don't really know anything else about the character. Um, Also, when it's preceded by him locking his daughter in a room. um, Like, yeah, you have to earn the sad backstory. You have to, you know... You have to show why this matters. This is a very tell-heavy song. 
Um, and God knows I love to tell, but it, it, you know, this is where that advice really does come into play. You have to get the audience invested in the character. Which, like, this movie already has a kind of cool telling mechanic, which is they'll cut to, like, a comic book style, um, like, like uh, a vignette of, of like something that, you know, if they, if they need to talk about some history or, or something that happened or sometimes if uh, your assassin's doing a bunch of killing and you can't afford the fucking special effects, you go to the comic, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. I liked yeah, that Yeah, no, lot. that was great. I, was, I thought that was excellent. Um, but it was just weird that they put this song in there and like it's truly unearned and, and, and then it doesn't earn ever. Like, it's not one yeah. of those things where it's, like, a sad dad song or, like, a repo song. And then you're like, oh, this is what they were hinting at. And he's so sad and has such a burden. You're like, wow, this character only gets worse. Yeah, it's like, ah, this is this is, this is is the best it gets, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, because characters only get more complicated as stories uh, progress, which is, you know, he, it's bad. Um, uh, unless you're Amber and you just show up to Rive. Yeah, you know what? Thank Christ for that. Um infected is shiloh's song where she talks about her blood disease um and it did have one of the few lines in this musical that did like make me like jump and be like this is actually great which was um she looks at a portrait of her mom and she says you know um thanks mom for the blood disease or something (laughs) it's really really funny um mother can you hear me thanks for the disease uh she just yells angrily angrily at the portrait of her mom and it's hilarious and i was like oh this is actually going to be a good movie Uh, again i was sorely disappointed yeah i mean like that was a the same i had the same feeling where i was like okay this could rule like this i like the the kind of gothiness of this i love this like teenage rebellion vibe which pays off again in, in 17 which we'll talk about in a second um but like Every one of these songs, with the exception of Zydrate Anatomy, just like, I don't know if it sets off what it's trying or accomplishes what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah, no, it's it's very difficult. Oh, no. What? I have bad news about uh, Zydrate Anatomy. But first, before we get there, um, there's um, there's a weird thing where there's a there's a scene where Roddy is driving um, Shiloh in a limo um and they're like doing the singing thing and like layla can you explain what happens okay so when the camera's inside the limo it sounds fine right it's just singing scene and then for some reason the camera goes outside the limo and then they muffle the singing to make it feel like you're outside the limb the limo it is the strangest audio choice I've ever fucking heard in my life. There's a song being muffled in and out for a cut. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, Layla, I have just sent you a screenshot of the official um, genius like description of Zydrate anatomy. Can you tell me what's wrong with the letters in anatomy? I, I might be wrong. We might have to cut this bit out, but I think <gasps> I'm right. What is that? Okay. Are they Cyrillic? The P, the, the, uh, see what I, do you see how I almost said P? Because that's a Cyrillic P, but people mm-hmm, use it as an mm-hmm. N. Yep. The N is definitely, what the fuck is the. The M? Yeah, because I mean, like, Cyrillic T and English M are the same thing, but like, I've never seen it typed. I've never seen it typed like that. What is that? Is I have no. 
goddamn idea. Shit, like what's happening? It's just an E that fell over. <laughs> Listeners, in case you need a little bit of backstory for what's happening here, one of my pet peeves that drives me to fucking violence is when uh, people try to spice up their uh, titles and shit written in English with Cyrillic characters in Cyrillic fonts, and it confuses my brain and makes me feel like I'm having just a tiny little bit of a stroke. So, uh, yeah, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um out of your respect for your Cyrillic reading uh, co-host. I just had to bring that up because I was like, oh no, Layla's going to have thoughts about this. Um, uh, Dang it, we blighted the only good song in the movie. (laughs) Zaijun Anatomy, and I think it says something because we did just talk about how none of these songs accomplish what they set out to do. Zaijun Anatomy doesn't set up to accomplish anything. It's a showpiece. Yes, and it rules. (laughs) And it's, yeah, a fucking Amber shows up in a dominatrix outfit and gets stabbed in the inner thigh with a fucking drug gun and then just writhes. It's great. Yeah, it's really horny. It basically, it. I mean, basically, it's the song about how Zydrate, this this drug, you know, makes you feel good. And that's why Amber loves to to get drugs. Um, And it comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial? A little glass vial. Uh, and the little glass vial goes into the gun like like a battery, right? Um, a battery. And then the Zydrate gun goes somewhere against your anatomy. Um, your anatomy. And when the gun goes off, it sparks, and then you're ready for surgery. Like, that's it, basically. And it <laughs> Yeah, because it has that cadence, and, like, it's very silly and fun. Like, that's why that song kind of kicks ass. Um, like the, you know, the content is, you know, abhorrent, right? It's about how Amber is addicted to getting like plastic surgery or just surgery in general. It's really stupid, but like that song, that cadence, like, and just the performance in which it's delivered is really fun. And like, if you, you know, I basically, when I was looking up on Tumblr stuff about Repo, I was like, oh yeah, this is the only song that anybody likes in this musical, which like, thank God. (laughs) Yeah. Cause, uh, the rest of them. Well, speaking of the rest of them, um, yeah. what do, <laughs> you made a note about Chromagio, which I thought was really funny, which is like the Sarah Brightman uh, genetic opera song. She just sings it mm-hmm. in Italian, uh, which is that the <laughs> your wife said that the only reason you like this song is because it's an actual Italian. Is that yes. true? <laughs> it might be. I mean, it might just be because Sarah Brightman's clearly a very talented singer. And I was like, oh, this is like very good singing. And like, I don't. I don't trust, like, at this point, you know, like, deep into Act 3, like, I did not trust the writers of this musical to, you know, do anything with the lyrics because, uh, you know, uh, f- I'm, I'm a lyrics guy, uh, listeners. I love when lyrics do something interesting. I really I really need them to rhyme for it to work with me. Um, that's why I like Imagine Dragons because I'm a fucking simpleton. Uh, but the ways in which these lyrics were so, like, lazy and sloppy really are, you know maybe it's a formal thing i i don't really have enough training to to really have a truly informed opinion about that but i felt they were very sloppy and like a lot of slant rhymes or like rhymes that just didn't you know have a pairing you know they didn't rhyme uh and i hated it so i was really nice to be like i don't know what the lyrics are here there's just like a very talented singer and this is great this is you know three minutes that i don't understand the language and i appreciated that and then at the end she's like you can't have my eyes i'm gonna gouge them out and And then then she does the oedipus thing and gouges her eyes out and spoiler for oedipus rex sorry um and then um (laughs) (laughs) well we'll put that on the top of the episode um but um yeah and then you know she roddy cuts like the harness that she's hanging from and she falls and it gets impaled on like this prop fence thing and it's really gory and 
so much fake blood. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have any particular feelings towards towards this song just because like I was so distracted by the fact that Sarah Brightman was wearing an outfit that looked like my 2006 era Kingdom Hearts OC. And I was just, like, <laughs> bathing in the nostalgia of being a little goth. Um, but it was fun. You know, it, it gave me a little bit um, Shinigami from Death Note vibes. Uh, with, uh, like, the little feathers. You know like what? The, the tendrils. Maybe this is who should have made live-action Death Note for Netflix. Mm, because, yeah, I think the vibes were so much better for this one. This, yeah. Yeah. yeah the hinges were so fully off. I would have mm. liked to see a song about Light eating that chip. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) The only salvageable moment in Death Note. (laughs) He takes a little chip. He takes a little chip. He puts it it in his mouth and he eats it. He eats it. He eats it. Oh, Oh, Christ. Speaking of unhinged teenagers, 17. (laughs) There's a bit where shiloh gets really mad at her dad and like does the whole song about how she's 17 and she starts off by being like you know i'm only 17 but guess what dad it's better than 40 um and i was like i think both of me and layla are like ma'am please don't diss 40 year olds like we are we want to be 40 years old so badly (laughs) stings yeah i want the financial security of being 40 like please it Mm -hmm. stings a little baby you don't know nothing (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah, God, can you imagine? Anyway, it's such a weird song. Um, You know, there, there's, like, a full band that, like, breaks into her room, and she, like, does, like, a weird, like, you know, goth band singing thing. Um, I've had those daydreams. Yeah, like, listen, I get it. I wish, you know. Uh, It does end with Nathan hitting her across the face, so, like... You know, just constantly, they're just like, maybe, maybe he'll, you know, get it. Maybe this will be a turning point. And then they just shoot you in the face. It sucks. Yeah, which, by the way, the precursor to the song was him yelling at her to shut up because she was asking him to save Mag. So, not a great character. We don't like him. Um, But yeah, uh, and then the last, speaking of not liking Nathan, one of the last, like, emotional songs of the show is I Didn't Know I'd Love You So Much, which is just like him dying in shiloh's arms i know we're supposed to feel something and aaron you made this note and i i feel the same way but like or did you make this note i might be dreaming um but like usually content of like parents being really nice to their kids like really gets me did nothing i was waiting for him to die the entire time yeah like um oh no i think they do it throughout the entire I just looked up the lyrics for this, and I think they do the Cyrillic thing throughout the entire uh, album. But um, anyway, um, yeah, like, you know, listen to our fucking um, Twisted episode. You can hear me being like, oh, a man who loves his wife and cares for his child. Like, that is that is laser targeted at me. And like, this just was not affecting me in any way because Nathan sucks so bad. Uh, also, just the lyrics are just terrible. Um, it goes like... Uh, but I didn't know I'd love you so much. I didn't know I'd love you so much. I didn't know I'd love you so much, but I do. Uh, like, that's, that's like, maybe 80% of the lyrics, and it's just terrible. And they try to do, like, so they sing it at each other, like going back and forth, and then, of course, they sing it together in harmony, and then, of course, they repeat it, and then uh, Nathan starts to kind of drag to show that he's dying. Um, so it's like very elementary, not that elementary is bad, but like songwriting 101 for like musicals to, to do that, to show a relationship between characters musically. 
um, did it did nothing for me. It did nothing for me. Um, and it's just like, how did you, how did you write such an unlikable dad? I am on this podcast in multiple episodes, thirsting after fathers. It's your whole thing. It's my, it's the, you gave me a man that has a daughter that looks a little like a bird and is like a little dweeb and in a camp movie. And I wasn't hot for him the whole time. How did you goof this? You, you fucked it up real bad. Um, speaking of camp, I think that's an interesting transition to one of our talking points because I was talking with, with my, my, my wife and we were like, okay, you know, this is very similar to, you know, a camp, uh, you know, legend Rocky horror picture show. And I was like, you know, maybe I, I just, I don't like Rocky horror very much. Like I it's, don't either. I, Oh, wow. Okay. We are really doing some hot takes today. Um, but like, you know, I was like, maybe that's because, you know, this is, of the same genre but like i also didn't feel like this was as campy um i'm also you know i don't i'm not really the kind of person that can define camp um but i would say this is much more pulp um but you disagree what is can you define pulp for me because like pulp is one of those things i don't have a good grasp on good yes i pulled it up on dictionary.com minutes ago um great (laughs) pulp, pulp fiction uh is fiction dealing with lurid or sensational subjects often printed on rough low quality paper manufactured from wood pulp so like literally referring to like a style of books or you know like comics i would assume uh you know that have a lot of gore which like you know maybe that's like literally exactly what this is this is aiming for yeah, I think this can be both pulp and camp. Um, I'm not yeah, really can familiar. you explain your, your camp thought process? It's just like, oh man, it's so hard to explain camp. It, it's an energy. Camp is an energy. Camp is like, you can't intentionally make camp. That's, that's the thing. Camp has to like, hmm. camp is organic. Camp is a vibe. Camp is queer and kind of like sexy and not digressive what's the word um transgressive transgressive and like that's what this is like everyone's dancing and writhing and there's blood and and no one's trying to make the blood look real you know what i mean everyone's singing and the outfits are camp and paris hilton's running around in like a marie antoinette tutu get up for a second like it's really not trying to make any sense it's just trying to go for a vibe and the vibe is campy like i can't it's hard to explain (laughs) yeah i guess i just associate camp with stuff that's a little bit more fun um and camp can be gory camp can be gory camp can be camp can be okay um i you know i defer to your your expert judgment um but i yeah no i just i just did not i did not see anybody having fun that i associate with camp in this movie camp is big i think that's that's like a good and this movie was really trying to be like big that's true okay that's fair yeah um but aside from being big, you know, like what, what is this film trying to do? Um, you know, I reading through the Wikipedia, apparently this was inspired by, you know, the, the writer, um, he, his friend got like his, his was going through like a bankruptcy and got like all his stuff repossessed. Um, Darren Lynn Bozeman is the director. Um, and he basically was like, um, Hey, what if, what if they could take your organs? What if they could repossess your organs? Wouldn't that be fucked up? And like, 
when that premise was first announced, I was like, oh god, did I write this because uh, my first um, published short story is about, you know, an insurance company that keeps you alive after you're dead uh, to keep, you know, working off your medical debts. Um, and, like, I was like, oh no, did I do the same thing as Repo in the Genetic Opera? And, like, a little bit, but not really. Um, and so, like, I get it. I can't really, you know, make fun of the impulse. That's like, oh, wouldn't it be so fucked up if a medical company could do something to you, like take your organs? Um, when I've done something very similar, but like, uh, what what is the point of all this besides being like, you know, this is this is big and weird and um, just just completely goth. I was trying to think of what was going on around this time, um, like, in the world, and, like, the only thing that comes to mind is this was in the middle of, like, this very edgy goth revival moment, like, peak 2005 to, like, no, three to, three to, three to nine, I would say. It was just, like, peak, you know, everyone's wearing those, like, portrait necklaces and the fishnets and the trip pants, like, the aesthetic it was, it was in its peak, but also... This was, oh, the the year Obama got elected, right? So we're talking, like, right before Obamacare debates, like, you know, the healthcare in this this country was somehow worse than it is now, you know, like, um, so it, it doesn't surprise me that this movie came about out of an edgy line of thinking, um, that kind of aligns with the mood in the country at the moment, um, but I don't, I don't know what it was trying to do. I mean, I think we can see hints of what it was trying to do in, you know, like how much time it spends on Nathan and his relationship with Marnie. Um, and like, you know, how everything ties back to Marnie and like how, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to do something with like, oh, because of this one person and the ways in which they loved her, you know, they are willing to do a bunch of weird other shit. Um, but like, because Marnie's dead before the the show begins, because they are so mixed in their messaging, like I, it is really hard to say what Repo, you know, what the message of Repo is. Because like in the end, it comes down like the final message is like, oh, your you know your genetics don't determine your future. Um, you know, to quote Mewtwo, the circumstances of one's birth are irrelevant. Um, but like, it, it, because of all the weird. It is so muddled. I, I, you really have to fucking, you know, if, if it's like pulling a fishing line through like, you know, a bunch of reeds. It is so hard to get there. Have you tried to do that? Yeah, I, I'm a country person, actually. Oh, okay. For I, I, my, my grandfather had a farm. Um, okay, you country would boy. Never guess that about me in a million years, but that's true. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, there is a part of me that wonders, like, if we're discussing this too seriously. But on the other hand, like, this wasn't fun enough for me to not take it seriously. You know what I mean? Like, when I like, we have a, a mild spoiler for our programming. I guess we do have Godzilla versus Kong on, on our slate um, for for next month, which I'm very excited about. Aaron and I have been dying to see this movie but like it came out in peak pandemic and we just like couldn't couldn't go see it um those movies are like big bombastic fun i saw them the fucking i was gonna say the mothman one nope the, <laughs> the, the mothra, mothra one yeah <laughs> that came out a couple of years ago but you know i went and saw that in theaters 
That movie doesn't make sense. No, it's very stupid. It's the stupidest movie I've ever seen. Fun, though. They fridge Mothra in it for some reason, but you know what? Whatever. She comes back. It's she fine. She comes back. Fun, though. It big, is fun. Big bombastic fun, though. And, like, mm-hmm. I find that if I'm... I love a bad movie. I love a garbage movie. Like, you have yet to see F9. I'm waiting for the day. F9 doesn't make any fucking sense. But the fact is, it's so goddamn fun. It just, like, distracts me from the bullshit. And perhaps it is because I am no longer a wide-eyed goth high schooler. I just didn't have fun. And when I'm not having fun, my impulse is to think too hard about the thing I'm watching. And, and that, like... I wish this movie was more fun so that we could say it was trying to be fun and, like, poke at, you know, pharma being bad. Easy thing to do. Pharma's easy to punch up at. But it just wasn't fun enough. So now we're, like, sitting here debating the nuances of Repo the Genetic Opera. Yeah, that's how you know you've gone too far. (laughs) This is not a nuanced movie. Um, (laughs) No. Maybe nuanced in, like, (laughs) the way it approaches goth fashion from the era. Yeah, I suppose. Um, But, you know, in spite of all these criticisms, it is trying something new. It is of that, you know, pre-franchise era that, you know, this watching this movie made me question, I was like, is it so bad that we just have the same Marvel movie coming out every year? is that really worse than this and like the answer is like yeah probably that that's tied up in monopolies obviously but like you know like how how do we feel about a movie that tries a lot of stuff when it just completely falls on its face at every venture well i don't know i want you to follow that train of thought for yourself for a second there like you know uh this movie isn't necessarily like a great time for us now um but you know, do movies like this need to exist for better, more refined takes on the same ideas to come later? Because uh, have you seen the first Thor? Oh, yeah. No, that one is not a very good film. That's a bad movie. That is not that is a bad movie. That is not a good movie at all. Um but now we have Thor Ragnarok, which, listen, I don't even like Marvel movies. I fucking love that movie. Um, I mean, that might just be Mr. Taika Waititi. So. Well, I also like, you know, Black Panther was a great movie. That's um, true. But, you know, like, do... How... I guess I guess my question is, like, how much oxygen should these, like, spaghetti-at-the-wall attempts at film get or how much oxygen should they get in order for other people to see it and then maybe get inspired to make something more refined um that's a i mean that's the thing like uh this was like you know released by like Lionsgate, which is like, like a huge fucking you know film distributor but like it was based on this you know short story by you know uh terence zinich um which like you know, I would love to have one of my short stories adapted into into a movie, but like, right? I, I think I think what we're asking is like, you know, what what kind of leeway are we allowing creators when they they take big swing swings and strike out like really really bad? Um, you know, like th- this this comes this is almost a forgiveness. This is almost a, car- a conversation about cancel culture, honestly. Um, in that like. 
you know, like fucking M. Night Shyamalan, right? For a long time, his name is synonymous for being like the twist guy who always had a very stupid twist at the end. Like, you know, how how much are we willing to judge somebody based on a a single, right, flop? Um, And like, you know, as I think both of us as creators want that to be, you know, not that harshly because we want we want those second chances we want people to be like you know despite all this bad stuff that was in there you were really trying something and i have to appreciate that um and you know that's the thing like i guess like i don't i I don't think i have to frame the argument as if like you can either only get repo or, or you can only get marvels like i think that's you know it's a thought exercise but not really one that we need to engage in um, I think the answer is like, you know, y'all are on thin ice. Uh, there's some, you know, we didn't talk about the genetic shit, uh, in this, there, there's a bit where they're like, oh, you could change your race. And it's like, mm, okay, now we know that a white, uh, only white people wrote, wrote this because, um, that's uh, that's a very thorny subject. Um, uh, or like, you know, the inclusion of these Cyrillic letters in their track listing, <laughs> like, you know, I don't trust these people, but you know, I am willing to see, like there is stuff in here right like that's what we said like i would love to see them take a crack at a death note or something with a similar weird vibe right you know i i am always wanting to extend especially to you know i hesitate to give them the 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 title small creators but this started out as a much smaller project than it turned into you know um i I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt when we can i mean mortified's history is is you know just in the episodes that we released and and cut in the sequels um you know we are trying to not come down too harshly i think we can judge people's work harshly um without saying that like you know and then now they're irredeemable yeah i think that's a really great point to land on because like we do really try to 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 i think that it comes down to less of a conversation for me about cancel culture and more of a conversation about media literacy because um, I think that as a culture, we need to be more accepting of criticizing a work without condemning the creator, but at the same time, being able to, for ourselves, draw a line um, in the sand where a creator goes too far, right? So there's like a difference between, say um repo saying you should change your race that was a wild little slide um and you know like that just being like ooh, how edgy can we make this and it's 2008 and there's no holds barred and this is like a camp movie for a niche audience you know like whatever yeah make make garbage art i'm for it you know what i mean i love trash make something horrible you have to Not everything should be a fucking masterwork because at the end of the day, I would rather have people because, okay, I don't know if I've ever told this story on this podcast, but half the reason I went to film school was Princess and the Frog, the 2009 2D animated Disney feature. And then the other half of the reason was because there was a shot in one of the Spider-Man movies where Tobey Maguire like flips onto a rooftop and runs across a very badly composited in American flag because this was like peak Iraq war area. And I was sitting there as a teenager on the couch and I was like, I could do better. And I went to film school. Um... I think it's okay for us to to like engage in conversations where we can say we thought something was bad and like still, you know, appreciate the fact that it exists and encourage more things like it 
you don't have to like everything. We don't like this, but that's fine. You know, like, who cares? We're two idiots. (laughs) (laughs) No one gives a shit except our friends. We're like, that's fine. But yeah, that's not true. We're two pre Disney execs. One day we will be making the media that you are nostalgic for. We're really manifesting it. I um, Mm -hmm. out here. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, I think it's great that this movie exists. I kind of wish I had seen it in high school because I would be really into it, even though I do hate gore. Um, Like it makes me very squeamish. Um, But uh you know, I I guess what I'm trying to get at is like I miss being able I miss I miss not everybody having a platform and just being able to like sit around in the living room and talk about like bad art that we like anyway or don't like anyway without it you know constantly being this um uh this like verdict on something. Like I don't think we've dealt repo a verdict here. We just said we didn't like it. You know what I mean? And and that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we're not putting these guys in fucking art purgatory, <laughs> which watching this movie for me well, did feel like may- <laughs> yeah, a little may- bit. Maybe they are in art purgatory, but maybe not art hell. <laughs> I think they're running art purgatory, <laughs> but like good <laughs> for them. Felt like it. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Someone's so- got to be the fucking ringmaster at the circus. Yeah. Which <laughs> speaking of camp excellent uh britney spears music video circus um but uh yeah yeah i i wish this was more fun and more camp and wilder but because it wasn't i was stuck feeling like this is just a bad movie with good moments and i think it's important to acknowledge that that doesn't matter and more people should make bad movie with with good moments i think this film was just the right amount of like weird and um just completely like off the rails that we couldn't not talk about it on mortified it's extremely our brand so i am glad that we we had this conversation um you know i i think in mortified we come down to either having like very in-depth conversations about why we didn't like a thing or just like hey this fucking slapped and it was a great time and you know what this was one of the former um and we'll see what happens uh you know, in the future. Yeah, I think to put a bow on it really quick is we did, you know, talk about why we didn't watch Pan this week, uh, which is that it was just like gross. It was a gross movie. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even enjoy. We were me and Marty literally spent the entire time just yelling at the guy who plays Hook to put his face away because it was just too much, um, and then it was so racist in the parts where that performance wasn't grating on us that it just, you know, that felt like a a corporate attempt at making art that was like also sequel baited and it was it was bad art on a on a very large budget a very corporate level that felt like it had no love in it at all repo was a loved project it had a lot of love in it and i think that uh at the end of the day I would much rather talk about a project I didn't like that had a lot of love in it than a corporate disaster that was also incredibly racist. Amen. Um, if you have thoughts on Repo and the Jindic Opera, um, please give our hotline a call. That's 775-573-8882. Uh, and we would love to hear your thoughts on this wild musical. Um, I'm very interested if if you've had an experience with it when you were a little high school goth and how that felt for you. Tell me about your goth experience. (laughs) How did it warp your psyche? (laughs) Um, 
like that when we are not um having these kind of uh in-depth conversations about media where else can we be found on the internet at l-e-y-l-s-e-s uh on twitter tumblr and instagram just working on my webcomic um also partially working on a very long uh video essay about an old video game so maybe tune in for that uh aaron what about you uh you can find me on twitter at aaron sxl where i talk about health politics uh and uh tabletop rpgs um i'm i guess i'm also making short videos now i'm reviewing tabletop games i guess so if that's something you're interested in uh follow my twitter um i also do another podcast the aforementioned bible boys at the bible boys on twitter um we will be talking about uh, the 2018 uh, Mormon queer youth documentary Believer uh, produced by uh, Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, cannot wait for that. Um, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, what do we say? Uh, hey, Aaron. Uh, can you remind me what Zydrake comes in? Uh, yeah, I believe it's a little glass vial. Right, a little glass vial. Yeah, a little glass vial. Uh, we'll see you all next week. (laughs)